Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. As disaster responders, we find and endorse those products that we know will help you out in the field. If you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster-tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to l3harris.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I'm so excited to have Jason Clapp back on here. Everybody, if you heard the last episode, you know I'm a huge fan of him. You know, he and I went to Georgetown together, but you can check out more of his bio from our last episode. We were talking more about that that fire response and weather and how that all plays in together. Uh, Jason's back on the show. We're going to be talking about space weather and some of those fun things. It's December, so Santa Claus is coming to town. I have my green sweatshirt on. I got my Ohio State, which technically has red on it, so I got my Christmas colors covered. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me on. And I think you're my first fan outside of my family. So that's kind of exciting. <laughs> hey, man, we had, uh, I think, 12. No, no, no. More than that. It was like 1,300 people. Or no, no, sorry, not 1,300. Wow. 13,000 people listened to your last episode. So, really? yeah, I think, uh, wow. yeah. Popular dude. Yeah. So <laughs> you should tell your family that you're a pretty cool guy. But, um, well, we're, we're going to be talking about space weather here a little bit, which is kind of a fun topic thinking about, you know, Santa's coming. We have to make sure the skies uh, are clear for him to, to be able to have his uh, radio comms or whatever he uses to be able to track going around the world. But um, just for our listeners' sake, because, you know, we talked about this quite a bit at Georgetown too. Um, you know, Jason and I went to school there for a master's. But just for like listeners, people who don't really think about space weather or really what that entails, could you kind of give us an intro of what that means? Well, I mean, I'm definitely not an expert on space weather, but it's basically the sun obviously is made up of gases and then basically those explode and, you know, coronal mass ejection and the energy is going towards Earth. Well, it can go towards it. It doesn't mean it always does, but... Mm -hmm. And that's where we see our northern lights or southern lights. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just the energy reacting with the Earth's magnetic field. So, like, just just for everybody's sake, if you're thinking of, like, how traditional weather systems like uh, wind, rain, hail, snow, that kind of stuff impacts us on Earth, so, do, like, the sun does the same thing. The sun, the moon, the stars. No, uh, seriously, though, the, the sun... Um, as Jason is just saying, you know, impacts our atmosphere and how it impacts our atmosphere changes, uh, you know, what it does on the earth. And so, um, you know, that means a lot for emergency managers, uh, especially when it comes down to, 
you know, electromagnetic pulses, uh, which come from the sun. They can also be man-made. Um, if you've ever read some of those doomsday prepper books, they talk like, talk like, uh, EMP is going to be the end of the world. But, um, you know, the, the sun is on a, I, th- I believe an eight year cycle where those, those chemicals build up more and more. And then there's these releases. And so you'll see the frequency and, and how that impacts things. Um, so Jason, uh, you know, you, you, you and I were talking off screen a little bit about space weather. Why is space weather interesting to you? You say you're not an expert, but let's be real. You know what you're talking about. So, um, it's, <laughs> humble it's guy. Interesting that, yeah. You know, it affects a, all our comm systems, especially now since we've gone into space and we got all these satellites up there, which are very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Or they, they can be. I'm sure they do some mitigating factors to satellites to kind of help protect it from the, the rays from the sun. But, uh, yeah, I mean, all of our GPS, you, you know, kids want to Google their phone to, to find their way down the street. Well, that goes out and the satellites get tweaked a little bit and that's not working. It can cause power outages. I mean, not just small localized power outages. We're talking widespread, obviously. Yeah, there was, what was the last big one in the United States? There was one in like the 1800s that caused, like they were just do, starting to do power and um, it caused the power lines to like catch on fire. Like it caused all these surges. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly. I know I've heard of some of those like that, but yeah. yeah. It's pretty intense pretty when it happens. Yeah. yeah. Our, our infrastructure is uh, pretty fragile to... You know, you think of like all the things that the way the sun impacts the earth traditionally, and then right. you add in our communication systems. Uh, it's pretty wild to think about. Um, I think about the commercial airlines when they get noticed that there's been this, um, you know, this this release from the sun. They have to reroute their their planes, which is fuel, which is everything else. So sure, um, I'm sure military. I mean, you have a military background. Right. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, implications there, there too, right? Well, of course, just communications, um, just you know, HF com radios, any kind of radio system that can have impacts from there. I was uh, one of my assignments, uh, was a special ops group, and that was big on com. So that we, that was part of. I was in weather at the time, and that was part of our job and our, uh, I guess, our briefings that we had to give the, the higher ups, and that was part of it. It was a section of space weather and what the conditions were. Yeah. Um, was that, was that something that was high on the priority list of like to have to be aware of, or like, you know, when it comes down to it, like we, we hear that systems can be hardened, right? Like that's, that's a, that's a term we use, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means. I mean, it was, yeah, it was a high priority for our unit. I mean, obviously regular weather is a concern because they can't fly if it's, too foggy or just low visibility that makes it difficult because they can't really see where they're going. But <laughs> I, I mean, assume that's night, important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at night you can't see either because it's dark, I guess, but even fog at night, if you're trying to land, that's not good. But um, so the next part of it was their comms. If their comms goes down, they're just as vulnerable hmm. or even worse. Totally blind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like life-saving, life-sustaining. I mean, it, think about that. I, I know that NASA, um, like they were doing something with their satellites where they were able to test 
um, how like these how to harden their systems, basically like the type of material that they could use or how much how thick that um, those plates needed to be, that kind of stuff to be able to 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 regulate the amount of impact. And um, there's been a lot of discussion. I mean, even years ago about uh, our electric grid because we don't we don't harden our electric grid here in the United States. Um, outside of oh man, somewhere in New England, it's like Connecticut. There's there's one state that decided to do it, and no other state really got on board. So that just creates a still a, a vulnerable system. Um, but you know, like that's so. Let's talk about that for the implications. I mean, uh, let's play the what if scenario. We play what if quite a bit as emergency managers, right? So let's say we have this big ejection. We have how many minutes? Do you know how many minutes it takes to get from the sun to to here? Well, I don't know how many minutes, but this last one, that's the mass ejection that happened on the 7th of December, which is going on, <laughs> impacting us right now. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they just had an ejection on the 7th, and tonight, last night, tonight, and tomorrow night was supposed to be with a northern Maybe be able to see northern lights up uh, this part of the world, and where I'm in Washington, but we kind of got some clouds out there, so I don't know if I'll be able to do it. But uh, so that is hilarious that I didn't even think about to look that up today or last <laughs> couple of days. Well, there you go. I, uh, yeah, learning moment job. for me. <laughs> I thought, man, you contacted me in this. I was like, oh, maybe he is aware of it. Or, I, I was so aware. Coincidence. I have daddy okay. brain. We'll just say we'll just pretend I was aware. That's hilarious. So it takes a couple of days. For that stuff to make it. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I thought it was. See, I thought it was minutes, but you're probably right. It is something probably like days, and and that release is continuous. I mean, it's not just like a. It's not like just like a wave. Here's something really embarrassing that I probably shouldn't share on the podcast. When I was a teenager, <laughs> I didn't grow up around mountains. I had never okay. seen a mountain until I was eighteen. I mean, we're talking about rolling hills. I've seen Appalachian Mountains like when I was probably 14 or 15, but Ohio's flat, right? Uh, right. We would literally run up the hill uh, in sports. So, um, sports training. So, when I was 18 and I flew out to California to visit a friend, I thought there was this major power outage because I was flying in at night and all of a sudden the entire, you know, LA just went black. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, you start to curve around in the plane and realizing that there was a mountain there, but it's night, you couldn't see it. And, uh, like within like three days, I realized this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Now there's a reason why I'm bringing this up. I always thought that mountains were a single rock formation in like a line. I didn't know that there would be rows and rows and rows of, yeah. <laughs> of mountains. It's so embarrassing. But it's like the same thing with right. with these, um, you know, with these impacts from the sun. It's not it's not like what they show in the movies where what movies are with the Will Smith was like their single explosion. You hit get hit by the wave, and if you're dumb, <laughs> Independence Day. I don't remember. Yeah, Independence Day. Oh, Independence Day. Okay, but, but it is a continual release because it's it's kind of like a like a hose, like a pressure valve releasing, right? Like once that chemical builds well, up I mean, and there's an explosion. Yeah, I I don't know how long it lasts, but I mean, it only lasts. This one's only lasting for a couple of days before it kind of 
wanes and spooks, yeah. falls out. So it, it does come in a, a burst, I guess, but I don't know if it's like a wave, like a one, like a tidal wave. We think you used to think a tidal wave is just one big wave. Well, no, uh-huh. a tidal wave is just a bunch of succession or succeeding waves, I guess. Yep. I learned that, I learned that in 2011. I mean, I, I kind of actually knew that beforehand, but 2011, seeing the tsunami in Japan Yeah. and, um, you know, I speak Japanese and I was watching the Japanese, um, uh, uh, N, oh crap, what is it called? The, the major radio station in Tokyo. And, um, you hear the guy in the helicopter and he's just screaming one wave, two waves, three waves, four waves, you know, six meters high. Yeah. And you realize like, it's not so much like this single event, but it's like the earth, like caving in and the water just filling in. It's, it's wild right. to think about. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could do this, do the same thing in your bathtub. I guess if you drop the section of it, you, you, know, you drop a rock, it creates rings. It's not just one wave that comes out. You know, it's, yeah. It's a sine wave. It's just, it's, you know. it's important to think of disasters like that because I think so many people, especially in exercise design, like they'll say, they'll say the event, like, oh, we're going to do like the earthquake. Like there's ripple effects from that. Like that. You're going to have days of that. You're going to have months of that. Um, same thing right. with, you know, all the all kinds of disasters. I would say, like, the one that probably isn't, doesn't have too many um, cascading events is probably a tornado. Like, once that system goes through, like, you'll have a space of time of blue skies where you can get in there. But most right. disasters have cascading effects. But uh, going back to the space weather... Because that was that's technically the idea, right? Um, yeah. So communication systems are impacted, um, and in terms of a local emergency manager. So this is perfect because um, Jason just told me. Congratulations to Jason. In fact, hold up, hold up, wait for it. Uh, there we go. Congratulations right. to Jason. <laughs> Thank I just you. got a I got a new job. Uh, out there in Washington, he was with uh, Yakima County, which took me forever to learn. Yeah. And now he's with uh, Franklin County as an emergency manager. Though, so, so again, congratulations! Thank but you, sir. It, you're thinking of uh, you know well, when it really comes down when the 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 rubber hits the road kind of stuff. Local emergency managers uh, have to deal with the impacts of disasters. All disasters are local, right. so. In Washington, you you already have several other concerns you have to worry about. Um, what do you think that needs to happen in order to uh, prepare for a complete calm shutdown from something like this? Well, I guess I think it'd be educating the public. I don't think people. I mean, nobody's. I. Trying to come up with the right words, I guess. Nobody thinks that everything's just going to all shut down. I mean, even when you get a an earthquake or anything, people don't think that your cell phones aren't going to work. You know, that's going to earthquakes going to, or even a simple power outage. Mm. All your cell towers are running on electricity. Um, they're supposed to have backups, but I know a lot of them don't. So, and those batteries, once they, you know, they have maybe a. 36 hours, a couple of days on battery power. Once those batteries run out, there's no comp. So the cells go down, cell towers go down. Talk, um, talk if about, you, if you've got a, a solar thing, you've got, 
you know, electric, you know, electrical grids going down. I, I think it's like any other disaster. People don't really pay much attention to it until something really does happen. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I didn't think that could happen. Well, that's so, that's so uh, concerning because uh, sometimes I think... I want to say we're spoiled. We're doing things right here in the United States, but so many other places where we do humanitarian aid or, you know, we have to deal with emergency response around the world. Like those, those comms just don't exist. Like you'll have migrants, you know, people who are, let's talk, you know, talk about war, people who are fleeing Syria with their lives, you know, all those people. And, uh, you hope you're going in the right direction, you know? And, um, yeah, other places are a little bit more prepared for that. Um, and I, I like to like look at what other people have done in order to do like that basic preparedness. But, but because I know about EMPs, this is really stupid. This is not stupid. It's really simple. If you think you've been, you know, if you have a total power outage, the very first thing I do is I, I check my phone. If I have power on my phone, then I know it's not an EMP. Then I know it's something local. And it's, it's one of those like weird things that I do, but um, you know, there, there's several things that would have to happen and it would, the, the communication systems are, would be so much slower. I mean, basically what would happen in, in, in that kind of event, whether it's from the sun or man-made all, everything that's basically made out of copper would be, would be fried. So if you think of anything that you have electronic, that's made out of copper, like you're not using that anymore. You're not using your microwave. You're not using, you know, you don't have power water is supplied through power, right? Those pumps. There's so yeah. many systems that are impacted from doing that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a scary thing to think about too, you know, a little bit to be honest, but right. And, and even if you do have generators, um, you, you have gasoline. Well, guess what? Gas stations have pumps, which are run by electricity. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. People don't think so you're not going to be able to, all those doomsday preppers up. that get those big generators, I'm like, well, that's not going to do you any good if you can't get gas. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, that's the whole supply system type thing. So, yeah, you might go for a few days, but then other systems start to go down. And, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, cascading. Yeah. I, Hurricane Katrina is a great example of that because they lost power at that hospital. Uh, what was it? Mercy or Memory? Oh man, Ashley, sounds right. Yeah, Ashley Lawyer Loria is gonna get really on me for this because that's like <laughs> her favorite story ever. But you know, think of all the people who are are on those life saving systems that they like. What was it that one doctor had to like you know pump air into somebody else's lungs for like a hundred hours until they could get? Oh, I mean, could you imagine? Crazy. And how often? I mean, just just in, yeah. those incredible, you know humans are incredible and we're resilient, but we're also extremely fragile. And the more that we lean on technology, I'm saying this as a guy yes. who's, who's my income comes through a podcast, right? <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, well, we, I mean, we get, you said spoiled earlier. It's, it's, yeah, we are a little spoiled, almost complacent because you, it's human nature. You're used to something expected to be there Get your phone. It's so easy now. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you look at your smartphone and you're, picking it up all the time and you think, well, gosh, you know, 10 years ago or 12, 15 years ago before I had smartphones, I wasn't in my face. What was I doing then? You know, yeah. <laughs> why I, can't I just put this thing down? It's so hard, right? Uh, I heard, um, 
Elon Musk talk about how we're already like partially, um, um, what's it, what was it called? Um, oh my gosh. I can't think of, I can't think of the term, but basically he was saying that when you, if you have a feeling that you're missing something like something, you know, part of you and it's your phone that you're missing, then you have right. now become, uh, you know, you're, you're living with this technology as part of you. So we're already like becoming cyborgs basically. Right. Uh, and that's yeah. like really fascinating to think about. I can't, I can't even describe how often I look at my phone because I'm looking for email updates. I'm looking for clients to call me back. By the way, if you right. want an emergency plan, hire me. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, all that stuff, we, we use it constantly. Uh, but yep. we do have to get people to pump the brakes a little bit, even in this conversation, because I get nervous. Like, um, I'm going to throw one book. I, I don't like to throw things under the bus a little bit, but the book one second after, have you ever read that book? No. Oh, don't. It's, I do not recommend that book. However, uh, they, they make one really excellent point in the book. So there is a silver lining there. And it's talking about the supply chain routes and all, all those all those ways that um, you know people live for their technology. They live for you know the cars. The you know you get your your medicine. You go to dialysis. You do all these different things that require power. So, uh, but but those scenarios, again, going back to that cautionary idea, all those scenarios are so unlikely. They're extremely unlikely. What is likely is you know, your screen behind you, right? Northern lights, interruptions right. to communication technologies, maybe on a small scale, but it impacts the global, you know, maybe even global economy by, you know, all those systems that have to be changed when something like this hits. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of crazy to think yeah. about. I mean, astronaut space, so they had to worry about that too, because they're exposed to if they got any solar activity going on, and you're floating around in space. Oh man, I, I don't think, think that, I don't that. think that turned out well. Uh, cancer causing? Is that what that? Is that what would happen? No, I. I think they would. I don't know if that would kill them. They're out there. You're exposed to all that. I mean. Yeah, basically the plasma, the radiation that's floating out in space, and you're out in space just exposed to it. There's I like, don't know. yeah, <laughs> there's that, like a level of emergency certain, management that's like, hey, we got to prepare for this flood, and then there's like, hey, how do we make sure the astronaut doesn't die? Like that's right. that's pretty intense. To think about. Uh, so. If you're willing to tell us a little bit more about your current role, because I mean, we're talking about radiation here. We're talking about plasma, right? You know, what are some of the, maybe for the listener's sake, what is your current role and what are some of the things that you're looking at? My current role basically is funded by the department of energy and Columbia generating station. Columbia generating station is a nuclear power plant in Southeast Washington, which is located on the Hanford site which they used to produce plutonium for weapons during World War II. Oh, well. So obviously it's not active anymore, but it's they're still cleaning it up, so they're still finding all kinds of radiological <laughs> components out there. So the Department of Energy runs that, and Energy Northwest, which owns Columbia Generating Station, just, I don't know who 
the Department of Energy leased them the land or sold them the land on the Hanford site. Mm. So basically, that's my job is then working with Energy uh, Northwest and the Columbia Generating Station and Department of Energy on exercising and plans and there's all kinds of a lot of uh, red tape stuff <laughs> yeah, that we sure. got to go through because, you know, the nuclear uh, uh, NRC, nuclear radiation, gosh, I can't even think of what it is now. The NRC. It, I guess nuclear regula- regulatory, regulatory commission? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Nuclear regulatory Basically, commission. I they think. have so many, you know, regs and procedures they got to go with. They, it's step by step of what they do. So uh, we got to follow those rules and, you know, there's certain ways that they do things mm-hmm. as far as the, uh, the power plant. And, uh, yeah, so I'll be working with that. So I'm excited to get more involved with, uh, working with the radiological side of it. That's cool. Um, I remember uh, when I first was working with um, nuclear and radiological um, um, planning out in D.C., one constraint that we had to worry about, and maybe it's different out in Washington, but at the time, there was this perception that people could catch radiation from other people. Um, I think we might have talked about it a little bit in Georgetown, too, but there's a story in Brazil um, where these kids were playing with, uh, what was it, an x-ray machine? Do you, you're not in your head. I think you... Um, yeah, it was some kind of lab machine that basically was just tossed out and these kids found it in this old junkyard thing and it was I think cesium 137 and they was in it yeah it was like glowing blue or something and yeah it's all really unfortunate because the kids died but there was like this huge uproar of where they were buried because they thought all the other people in the town were going to catch radiation right um and I I don't remember all the details but I just remember just kind of being a panic everybody's going to get radiation yeah. from this and you know they opened up uh, they, I don't know, they opened the hospital they were basically telling people that if you had contact with it to come visit them or come get checked out but you know that you had thousands and thousands of people lined up to get checked out that weren't even part of the scenario weren't even you know <laughs> miles and miles away that you weren't even exposed but there was just that fear of radiation oh my gosh that yeah I, I might have some radiation poisoning it's so they fr- didn't it's so frustrating because the public is your best friend and your worst enemy in every disaster. Yeah. Like yeah. local preparedness, community efforts, uh, you know, all that stuff. If it's done well, goes, it, it helps out relieve so many systems, yeah. you know? And if it goes it's, poorly, then it's just, it's a crap yeah. shoot. <laughs> and it's knowledge. It's people not understanding things. People are scared of what they don't know. So radiation, the big green glowing thing, that's what everybody's scared about. Oh, radiation. Anytime you mention that, they think it's immediately dying. Well, radiation, yeah, if you get enough of it in a short amount of time, yeah, you could die fairly quickly, but usually that's not happening. Even if you got exposed to some radiation, it's more a long-term thing that could happen. Well, our bodies are actually made really well to deal with radiation, right? I mean, we get, we have to deal with radiation every single, going back to our whole topic here, the sun. You know, the sun, you know, impacts our bodies yeah. every day, yeah. and that's radiation. Right. So, like, the fear of radiation there, is yeah. um, a little blown out of proportion. Well, there's, 
there's natural radiation everywhere. There's radon gas that so just comes naturally out of the, the earth. Um, yeah, solar radiation that comes just in sunlight. Um, simple, well, it's man-made, but, you know, medical devices that have, you know, little bits of radiation in it. But mm. uh, people just think, uh, they don't, I don't think people understand the amounts of radiation you'd actually have to have to do significant harm. Yeah. You don't want it really, but one of it, some of it comes natural. Well, I did all this, uh, we did all this modeling, um, for the differences between a dirty bomb, which is, uh, essentially taking some of the radioactive material and uh, strapping it to a traditional bomb and blowing it up versus a nuclear weapon. And, the public perception is that the the dirty bomb is one very easy to get your hands on, and two just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than a nuclear weapon. The reality is, is both are very rare, and a dirty bomb is really ineffective. Like it is, like unless you're in that immediate area, you'll probably die from the shrapnel rather than just you know the the radiation. It's a poor bomb, anyways, and so. Uh, now the FBI is going to flag this podcast, but like, uh, you know, we, we look at that, but the, the, the big problem always is mass hysteria. And if we have an EMP from the sun and you know, everybody loses connectivity to their cell phones and they can't communicate, man, I wonder about mass hysteria and what would happen, um, you know, in yeah. the public, you know? Well, sure, because now their phones are gone, so they can't even basic communicate. And, oh, my phone doesn't work. What do I do? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's. Well, you saw the toilet uh, paper thing. I can't even imagine. Like, the, to- the whole toilet paper thing was just fake. It was a politician in Australia who uh, made an offhand comment that, hey, you know, they were had a run on toilet paper in Korea, uh, South, South Korea because China makes toilet paper. I wonder how much of our toilet paper they make. So there was a run on toilet paper in Australia, which caused a run on toilet paper like everywhere, including the United States. And that was all, yep. It was all just a hundred percent, a man-made problem. There was no, there was no problem with toilet paper. The only problem with toilet paper is that, uh, companies like Walmart and other companies like that, you know, they have an algorithm. They say, Hey, you know, we have, this meant sales for this product. And so they have ordering. So they didn't order based off of nothing. I mean, there's no, there's no data to show. Then all of a sudden it was, it was empty. And so they had to take a long time to catch up to that. But that's what I think would happen if we lost a hundred percent of communications. A lot of the problems that we we were going to have are going to be man-made. It's just going to make believe stuff from hysteria. Yeah. But yeah, you know, all snowball. Snowball. Hey, way yeah. to bring it back to Santa Claus. Snowball. There you <laughs> there go. There you go. That's awesome. Jingle bells. Okay. I no joke. I before we got on here, I was trying to find like a like a free version of a Christmas song that I could play on here without worrying about copyright. And like right. everything I found was uh like hyper techno. I was like, eh, I think I'm gonna pass on the techno Christmas <laughs> this year. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been kind of fun just to, to dive into this topic and see how many different areas it touches. Just by talking about space weather, we were able to, you know, really talk about how, you know, disasters are, you know, cascading events and, uh, you know, radiological events as well, because, you know, they're partial to that. And, um, 
getting emergency managers to think outside the box a little bit of just like beyond their no more scope. I mean, even me who, you know, I get reports, you know, every day that I look at, I didn't look at the space weather. I didn't even know that we were, you know, we were having an event. So just to have you come on here, it shows why coordination is really important. It shows that like these conversations to sit down and say like, okay, if we have an event, what would, what would it cause? And that, Birds, lots of conversation. So, Jason, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Sure. Um, Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, of course. I'm going to ask you uh, similar questions to what I asked you last time. I want to see if your answers change at all. Basically, three questions, okay? Throughout your career, what was the most impactful event to you? This is our rapid fire, I guess. Most impactful event? Oh, my gosh. I was the birth of my first child. Ooh, I like that. Uh, as a guy who just had the birth of my second child three weeks ago, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the my the first birth. This I always get off topic. The first birth uh, for me was I mean, obviously my son Alan, and um, my wife was ten centimeters pushing, and all of a sudden she had an abruption. And, uh, the doctor came in and said, we have two minutes to save both lives. And, uh, I mean, it, it was, it went from like, okay, your standard, like, you know, birthing process to like all of a sudden like go. And so that was insane. So there was a lot in your throat. Oh, more than that. I mean, um, I remember praying outside of the OR. I tried to get in the OR four times and they wouldn't let me in, but I remember sitting there in the chair praying. It's the only thing you can do at that point. And um, yeah. these lab techs were standing by me, like laughing and talking about how busy their night was. And <laughs> you know, you're, in, you're 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 supposed to be peaceful when you pray, pray right? But I I remember right. looking over and it's like I don't have time to tell you why you need to shut up, but I just need you to shut up because I'm praying right now. <laughs> the life of my wife. And then afterwards, uh, when the doctor came out and said everything's fine and blah, 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 like our son had, did have to go to the NICU, but um, the lab tech was crying and I ended up looking at her and she, she was saying, sorry, she was so worried, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up comforting her and I'm like, yeah. I, I'm the one who should be comforted. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. So when, when Millie was born, I was like, please let this be okay. And it was a C-section yeah. and it was like at 7.30 in the morning and by... Three thirty by three thirty p.m. Aaron and I looked at each other and we're like, "We're bored. This is great. This is so uneventful. <laughs> this is fantastic." So that's anyways, good. I made that all about me, but that was supposed to be all about you. Sorry. But, <laughs> um, your, your first birth. Why? Why? I mean, I told you my story. Why was your first birth, the first birth, so impactful? Well, I mean, all of them are impactful, but it's your your first child. Thinking, wow, we we created this together. You know, and cool. you see you, you, your wife's carrying the child for nine months and you feel her, feel her moving inside, you know, as, she, as she's growing in there. And then just when she's coming out, because I was allowed to be in the, in the OR, mm. it, you know, for all my children. So, just well, I guess we weren't in the OR. I guess we were just in our room. But still, but you're, yeah. It's Yeah, you're there and seeing that life come out. Wow. <laughs> when you're, you know, 20 low 20s and 23 or 24 whatever it was that's awesome yeah that's that was impressive uh i was so grateful i told a lot of people i mean that's really cool thank you for sharing that story with me um 
I was so grateful to be an emergency manager and have having some exp- experience in disasters because I kind of, it was kind of this weird thing where I just kind of shut down emotionally, like during that whole like process and I compartmentalized and it took me a few days to kind of come out of that. But once I did, I like it, it I don't know. I, I saw Alan's feet when he came out and the very first thing I said to my son was, wow, you have huge feet. And I was like, man, it should have been like, nice to meet you or I'm your dad. No, it was I have huge feet. Um, that's cool that, you know, that, that you said that. Uh, okay. So that was the first question. Second question. I'll try to keep this shorter. Second question is if you were going to give advice to emergency managers to change one thing, what would it be? I uh, mean, to, to end, I guess, advice for anything. For emergency managers specifically for the career. One thing about the management you change, yeah. Communicate, mm. and then they everybody says that, but it all comes down to communication. Everybody's like, oh, we had a communication problem. Like, well, it wasn't a communication problem. Maybe it was not the right communication. Mm. Uh, so maybe you were communicating, but it wasn't the right way, or it wasn't the right way where the other person perceived it. You know, or it wasn't the other person's type of communication. You don't always know everybody's communication skills and what they're how they like to be communicated with, but. I went back to education, talking about the public, not knowing what about radiation. Mm. So communicating with the public, communicating amongst your peers, other partners, just the more you talk, and that's what I guess social media is about, just kind of keeping that communication line open, especially when you're talking with the, the public. Mm. When you're a government agency or a private company and you're trying to get your story across to the public. Social media helps with that. So that's a good thing with technology. Yeah. But yeah. Communication. I like that answer a lot. Uh, maybe we'll have a follow up question real quick, if that's okay. Uh, sure. In almost every action after action report I've seen almost every single one. It's like, Oh, what's one of our after actions? Communication, communication. Yeah. And you said something really important right there. You said, you know, well, maybe it wasn't communication. Maybe it was how you communicate. Right. Why do you think in every single disaster communication comes up? It depends on who's involved in the event. Maybe there's a language barrier. Maybe there's Mm -hmm. uh, the culture barrier. Culture meaning, I mean, countries, cultures, and cultures of how organizations are run. Um, and that's what uh, ICS is supposed to kind of fix that stuff where everybody's speaking the same quote, language. Yeah. But, uh, I like same ha- terminology. Yeah. You're, what you're saying essentially is communication is too broad of an answer. If yeah. you really want to find a good after action, yeah, you got to narrow it down to what, like, so what, Yeah, what kind of communication? Yeah. Man, you're I not, like that. You know, where you're not talking enough, like keep going back to the education part. If you're not, getting out and educating people what's going on. I think if you educate people on what the potential problems are, what the potential good things are, what impacts may happen on whatever thing you're talking about, whether tornadoes or um, radiological. I mean, if you go into Missouri and you talk about tornadoes, mm-hmm. most people live there and know what that is and what to do because they have them so often. If you go down to Florida with hurricanes, even up here in uh, southeast Washington that live around the uh, nuclear power plant, people that live in the area 
know more about it, say, if you went to somewhere where they didn't have a plan, they just didn't know about radiation. Mm. Uh, but there's still people that don't understand. They just live around it, but they just think nothing's happened so far that you're, you're good. And uh, those <laughs> people, something does happen. I, I get why people do that. I mean, I do it too in some degree or like on different things, but Oh my gosh, it drives me nuts when you see like this problem coming in and you're like, please take it seriously. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever. I've never dealt with it before. So it's never going to happen to me. Anyways. Right. Exactly. Like if, you know, flooding, you know, it's, I've lived here 40 years. It's never flooded once. <laughs> and that means it can never flood here ever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My favorite one is when people say like they let, you know, um, Mount St. Helens. Oh, I've never seen the volcano go off. Volcanoes go off hundreds of years, thousands of years apart. Your, your right. minuscule life means absolutely nothing in that time scale. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You're awesome. Yep. Good answer. Okay. And the very last question, the most important question for the podcast, what is the number one a podcast for emergency managers? Oh gosh. I think it's a uh, uh, disaster tough. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I love asking that question. It's so corny. Uh, all right, Jason, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Everybody. If you liked uh, what Jason had to say, I, of course I did. I always like talking to Jason if you liked this episode, give us that five-star rating on your favorite po podcast platform. Make sure you follow us and comment and share, uh, you know, posts from our Disaster Tough podcast Instagram page. We really want to get the feedback. A lot of you guys like sending us emails, which we appreciate for sure. But if you want to comment, make sure that Jason be able to see that. So comment on, on Facebook, Instagram. We have our LinkedIn page, which we use from our business side, the Doberman Emergency Management, all that stuff. Make sure you comment on there so we, so Jason can see it. And then lastly, if you want to work with the Doberman Emergency Management Group, if you need an emergency plan or you need to, to upgrade some of that tech, you're trying to do some training for your agency or for your school, your business, whatever it is, we definitely have the expertise to be able to help you out. So uh, send us an email at info at DobermanEMG.com. Again, if you want to work with us, please send us an email at dobermanemg.com.